God. We would be still and know that you are God. God Almighty. We stand in awe of you. Our God is a consuming fire. Our God is a jealous God. And we worship you, thrice holy. We worship you for your awesome holiness, your majestic splendor, your blazing glory, your dazzling beauty, your sparkling purity, your limitless power, your timeless existence, your supreme authority, your ingenious creativity, your terrible wrath, your unswerving faithfulness, Your matchless grace, your unending mercy, your absolute justice, your infinite wisdom and knowledge, your fascinating, scintillating, exciting personality. Your incredible tenderness. Your unsearchable understanding. Your unfathomable love. Your God. And we worship you. Your unquestionable sovereignty. We tremble in your presence because of who you are. This is the man, this is the woman to whom I will look, even he or she that is of a contrite and a broken spirit and trembles at my word. Oh God, I pray you will bring the fear of the Lord upon us, that we may know what it is to tremble in the presence of the Almighty God because of the extent and the depth of the revelation of yourself that you give us. Tremble not in fear. Perfect love casts that out. But we would tremble before thee as we see thee in all your glory, that blazing glory. Oh God, we want our faces to shine as a reflection of having seen your glory in these days this week in a way that we've never, ever seen you before. We want your glory to fill this place. Nothing would thrill us more, I believe, that I can speak on behalf of all of us, than if we could not enter this place as the priests couldn't enter the temple because the glory filled the house. Nothing could excite us more than to be prostrate 
on our faces before you, where there was no human voice speaking, but you were, were just manifesting yourself in all your blazing glory, and we were on our faces on the floor before you. Oh, God, reveal yourself to us. We say like Moses, show us. We beseech thee, show us this week your glory. Nothing else, nothing less satisfies us. We don't want to know about you. We want to know you. Reveal yourself. Come out from hiding. Three times you tell us in the book of Isaiah of God who hides himself. Oh God, come out from hiding and let us see you. Let us see you. Make us diligent searchers of yourself this week. Rid us from any casual inquiring of yourself. Give us the passionate desire of a Moses and a Paul to know you as you are. We'll take whatever adjustments are necessary and we understand there will inevitably be many. We choose to take them but reveal yourself. We ask it in Jesus' name. We know the person of the Holy Ghost is the only one who can do it. We honor you, Holy Spirit. We submit to you. We make room for you. Come and reveal the Father and the Son to us. We believe for this. We praise you that that's what you brought us together for. That the nations of the earth, every nation of the earth, may be affected by the revelation that we have of you this week. That we may know you in order to make you known to the multiplied millions who've never heard your name. Thank you, God, that you will do it. We've asked according to your will. We've asked the greed. We've asked in the name of Jesus. We've asked in simple faith. I thank you that there's nothing else you can do but answer that prayer according to your word. Amen. The message that God has laid upon my heart to bring to you tonight is about the joy of the Lord. God's norm for every Christian. I believe there is a revelation of truth that we come to in relation to praising God, which is wonderful and sets us free. But I believe that there are levels in praising God that we need to reach that are centered in the truth from God's word about the joy of the Lord, which are that exultant joy, which are the highest levels of praise that we can enter into. And I believe God wants to take us into the exultant joy of the Lord. God's norm for every Christian. We're going to let the word of God be our slide rule for our standard of behavior. Amen? And when our, where our lives are not matching the standard of the word, we choose to say, I have to make the adjustment. And God's word has some tremendous things and many things to say about the joy of the Lord in relation to normal Christian living, daily Christian living. Now, because our authority in Bible teaching is based upon the Word of God, there will be lessons of the Word. 
And I invite you to take the scripture references, of which there are literally dozens tonight, down, so that you can do the kind of homework that diligent seekers do after messages. Now, it may not be during convention time, but those who mean business with God, who've moved out of the casual inquirer class to the diligent seekers, they take notes during times like this, diligently, and then they have their own private Bible study and get twice as much, if not more, out of it when in your own home you take the phone off the hook, you, you just tell God you're going to give him uninterrupted time, you get out the notes, and you meditate and pour over the scriptures and look them all up again and just get blessed out of your skin. In John chapter 15 and verse 11, when Jesus said, These things I have spoken to you, that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be full, we need to understand what it was he was saying, that we may have this very wonderful experience in normal everyday life, regardless of circumstances. His joy in it, and that we may be full of it. Now, full means that it'll spill over, and others will be affected by it. Verse 9, John 15. As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. That's enough to be full of joy, as we meditate upon that. Exactly the same kind of love in quantity and quality in depth and breadth and height, that God has for the Son, the Lord Jesus, he has for us. And Jesus has for us. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments, and abide in his love. If you obey me, you will abide in this tremendous love. Then God says, and I just say it colloquially, now here's something to really rave on about and get excited about. Here's something where, where you can have exalted joy the more you think about it and the more you believe it. He says, if you really believe that I've loved you just as the Father loved me, and that if you obey me, you're going to abide in this love, you're going to wallow in it. And it's going to surround you and comfort you and bless you and fill you. Now he says, get excited about it. I've told you so that my joy may be in you and your joy might be full. Normal Christianity. Romans chapter 14, verse 17. For the kingdom of God does not mean food and drink, but righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. We must understand before we go any further in the study from God's word that the source of this joy is the Lord himself. Never the circumstances. 1 Peter 1 verse 8. And I trust the Holy Spirit is going to show you how many times exultant joy is mentioned in the scripture. Now, it's impossible to say the word exultant without immediately there's a connotation of deep emotion, right? There's no way you can be exultant and just be cool. No way. Exultant is, a, is a, a deep, very deep, nothing surface, bubbling wall. Nothing to do with happiness. That's a little shallow thing that comes and goes with circumstances. But a deep, effervescent wall of joy that comes up 
and is in your mind and is in your heart and is on your lips regardless of circumstances. And it can only be so, this deep emotion of exultant joy, when we understand the source of the joy and our mind is being stayed on him. There's no way this message is going to work unless we are constantly thinking of, meditating on, studying, getting to know him. He is the source of the joy. 1 Peter 1.8 Without having seen him, you love him. Though you do not now see him, you believe in him and rejoice with unutterable and exalted joy. Do we? To the degree we have a revelation of what he's really like, it will be the greatest influence that can happen for us to choose to praise him. And from the choice of praising him, coming from the revelation of who he is, the exultant joy comes up and out and over. Philippians 4.4 Rejoice in the Lord! Do you know that nowhere in scripture are we ever told to rejoice in the circumstances? I don't believe in that teaching. It's not in the Bible. We're told to be thankful in all things. What are we to be thankful for? We're to rejoice in the Lord! We're to be thanking the Lord! Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I would say rejoice. Many, many times you and I can't be rejoicing in the circumstances we were not meant to be. We have to be rejoicing in the Lord who is above and over and controlling the circumstances. That makes a little bit of difference, doesn't it? Because we can look at the circumstances and they can be ghastly, they can be grim, they can be extremely difficult. That's realism in life, that's life, isn't it? I don't live in a bed of roses, do you? My life just isn't cloud nine all the time in circumstances. I'm sure yours isn't either. But at all times, we can be rejoicing in the Lord. He never changes. He's just as mind-blowingly fabulous every moment. Do you know the Lord? Or do you know about the Lord? you know what his character is like? Have you studied his character? Facet by facet. Meticulously. Detailed. Intensely. From the word. There are no shortcuts to knowing God. There's no instant crash courses that you can take to know God. There's nobody in this Bible or out of it had an instant course in knowing God. It takes discipline. It takes diligent seeking. It takes time alone with him, much time alone with him daily. Pouring over his words, studying what he's like, and all the reward, revelation of himself. The greatest incentive that we can have to worship and praise and be an exultant joy is the revelation that he gives us as we diligently daily seek him. What for? For guidance? No. What for? Messages to, to give to others? No. What for? To know about the Bible? No. To know the historic background? No. To know the author of the book? God, do you know him? The very sounding of his name turns me on. The most exciting, fascinating, fabulous person in the universe. All the most interesting people I've ever met is a peanut. Put 
again and think, my God. 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 Mighty God. Fabulous God. Infinite. Exquisite. Tender. Wonderful God. Exultant joy because of who he is. Psalm 43, verses 3 and 4. Oh, send out thy light and thy truth. Let them lead me. Let them bring me to thy holy hill and to thy dwelling. Then I will go to the altar of God, to God, my exceeding joy. I will praise thee with the lyre, O God, my God. I love David in the Bible, don't you? He's my pin-up boy of the scriptures. He never did anything by heart, even sinning. That's the part we're not to copy. But oh, did he ever love God with all his mind and with all his heart and with all his soul and with all his strength. That's why he could praise the Lord with all his mind and heart and soul and strength. That's why he, more than any other of the authors under the power and inspiration of the Holy Ghost, tells us what this exalted joy is and speaks of it because he experienced it because he knew God. Um, Isaiah 41, verse 16. And you shall rejoice in the Lord. In the Holy One of Israel you shall glory. 1 Samuel, chapter 2, verse 1. Hannah also prayed and said, My heart exalts in the Lord. My strength is exalted in the Lord. One of the most mighty women in the Bible. Precious little housewife, Hannah. Tremendous challenge her life is. I don't think there's a woman in the Bible outside Mary, the mother of the Lord Jesus, that challenges my life like little Hannah. And she could say, my heart exalts in the Lord. My strength is exalted in the Lord. And the more you study her life, you'll realize she passed through some of the deepest tests that a woman can pass through. Luke chapter 10, verse 21. This is a very fascinating verse. It's Jesus exulting in the Godhead. In that same hour, the Lord rejoiced in the Holy Spirit and said, I thank thee, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, that thou hast hidden these things from the wise and understanding and revealed them to babes. Yea, Father, for such was thy perfect will. I got blessed out of my socks when I was meditating on this verse as I saw that the Lord Jesus on earth was exulting in the Godhead over the fact that, that real wisdom, insight in the knowledge of God and the pearls of what really knowledge and wisdom is all about are hidden to little nobodies like you and me. And that's what Jesus got excited about and exulted in the Holy Spirit. Isn't that wonderful? That excited Jesus. That all the big wigs and the big names and the big intellects who think they've got all the answers because they're PhDs or got all their degrees, God bless them all. If they were in the will of God getting them, that's great. If they weren't, well then they've got problems. But regardless of, of, of all the learning of men, God says that the learning that impresses him begins with the fear of the Lord. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. The fear of the Lord is the beginning, period, obviously. 
Have you begun? Do you fear the Lord? Do you understand what that means? Have you made a study of that subject from the Word of God? Is the fear of the Lord upon your life? It's the beginning. And in Jeremiah chapter 9, verses 23 and 24, God says, Let not the wise man glory in his wisdom. Let not the mighty man glory in his might. Let not the rich man glory in his riches. But let him who glories, glory in this that he understands and knows me. That I am the Lord which exercise loving kindness, justice and righteousness in the earth. For in these things I delight, saith the Lord. Do you want to impress God? Then get to know and understand his character. God says you can glory in this if you understand and know what I'm really like. Do you understand God? Because in that verse he says, Let not all these rich and mighty and wise men glory in anything else, but that they not just know me, understand me. You can never understand anybody until you've taken much time alone with them and you know their character. Otherwise you only know about them. Do you know God? Do you understand God? takes time. The pursuit with the greatest reward here on earth is knowing God. This is the source of the joy, the revelation of what he's like. Psalm 9, verses 1 and 2, I will give thanks to the Lord with my whole heart. I will tell of thy wonderful deeds. I will be glad and exult in thee. I will sing praise to thy name, O Most High. So much for the introduction. God, now here's the message. God gives the joy of the Lord when we fulfill the following conditions. One, when we seek him just to be with him and to know him. Psalm 16, verse 11. Thou dost show me the path of life. In thy presence there is fullness of joy. In thy right hand are pleasures forevermore. When we believe it, we are not always hankering for human fellowship. Human fellowship is right. We're told not to forsake the assembling of ourselves together. But you don't have to hanker for human companionship when you believe that in his presence is fullness of joy. Acts 2 verse 28. Thou hast made known to me the ways of life. Thou wilt make me full of gladness. Where? When? In thy presence. Psalm 40 verse 16. But may all who seek thee rejoice and be glad in thee. It's the reward that God gives to the diligent seeker of himself. Not to know about him, not just to get guidance, not to get messages, let me say it again, but to go alone with him and say, oh God, reveal yourself to me. Or, oh God, reveal yourself to me. Oh God, reveal yourself. Say it ten times in every different way you can. But whatever you do, get in the presence of God and tell him you won't let him go till he's revealed himself. You don't want to know about him, you want to know him. And he says, good, I see I've got a diligent seeker here. I'm going to, in my time and way, reward you with the fullness of joy in my presence. We think that Moses had to receive grace to go up the mountain, and he did. 
that he had to receive more grace to leave the friendship and presence of the Almighty God to go down amongst the people. He was willing for the ordinary. He had exalted joy up there with the Lord, face to face. How corny it would be to have said to Moses when he came down, Poor Moses, 40 days, 40 nights. To think you never had food, you never had any water, you were up on a cleft of a rock, and then you were flat on your face up there, Sinai is cold and rugged, and there was lightning and thunder. Poor Moses. Come on, Moses, you need some hot drinks, and you need some fellowship, Moses. He'd say, if he were an American living today, man, I never had it so good when I was that up there with him. I'm so glad God taught me to receive grace so that I could come down here amongst these rebels. The second condition that we fulfill for God to give this exultant joy is when we have a clean heart. Psalm 51, verse 12. After David had confessed and repented of the double sins of adultery and murder, he then says, Restore to me the joy of my salvation. He knew perfectly well he couldn't pray that prayer before. And neither can you or I when our hearts are heavy and our spirits are heavy because we have undealt with sin in our lives. We haven't humbled ourselves as we should have to those we've wronged. We haven't made our restitution. We haven't confessed our sin before the Lord and gotten right with others. Of course we can't have exultant joy. You can be on some emotional trip in a crowd of others, but you're not having exultant joy. Exultant joy comes from a clean heart, a broken and a contrite spirit where we've gotten right with God and right with one another. Psalm 132, verse 9. Let thy priests be clothed with righteousness and let thy saints shout for joy. There's a tremendous link in the scriptures between righteousness and joy. There is no other way to have joy outside righteousness. See, you can look at the Lord and feel ghastly if you've got unrepentant sin in your heart. The glory of God could come into this place tonight in a way that you and I had never ever seen. And we're going to have one or two reactions. Either we want to rush away because we can't stand the sight of the revelation that his glory shows us to be. Or we will say, I'll rush to your feet, Lord Jesus, and confess and repent of everything that your righteousness and your glory shows me that I'm not. It's one of two reactions. Pride will want to run for the door. Humility runs to his feet. read that verse again. It's very important. Psalm 132 verse 9 Let thy priests be clothed with righteousness and let thy saints shout for joy. Psalm 32 verse 11. Be glad in the Lord and rejoice, O who? Righteous. And shout for joy all you upright in heart. I've just come from ministering in three major cities in Brazil with Brother Andrew a God smuggler, my precious, precious friend and brother Andrew. And he always says that a fanatic is somebody that just loves Jesus a bit more than you do. And I think that's a fabulous definition. 
So if you've got a reserve about somebody expressing the joy of the Lord, you also remember that that's exactly what Michael, Saul's daughter, and David's wife were saying as she despised David in her heart. Fanatic. And what happened to her? She had a barren womb for the rest of her life as under the judgment of God because she criticized the way her husband rejoiced in the Lord. And there are many, many, not only women but men, whose spiritual lives are as barren as Michael's womb, who've criticized others for their expression of joy in the Lord. And until they repented, having touched the Lord's anointed and been critical, and repented of the things in their own life that caused them not to be able to express joy, they will remain barren. The next condition that we fulfill to have the joy of the Lord is when we please God through obedience to Him. Ecclesiastes chapter 2, verse 26. For to the man who pleases Him, God gives wisdom and knowledge and joy. Now from here on out, God wants to show us that through obedience to these conditions, joy is part of the package. Now, we may not have realized that, and therefore we may have been fulfilling the conditions, but not entering in to what goes with the package, which is the joy of the Lord. And God wants to show us that tonight. Because you may be picking away uh, here, point by point, yes, I fulfill that condition, but I haven't been experiencing the joy. Now, God wants you to possess your possessions and enter into the joy of the Lord. Alright, for to the man who pleases him. Have you been pleasing the Lord? Have you been obedient to what he's been telling you to do? Then he says, he will give you wisdom and knowledge and joy. Look what he promises when we have left home and gone to other places other than our home and our homeland at this call to make him known. Psalm 105 verse 43 when we have obeyed the Great Commission. So he led forth his people with joy, his chosen ones with singing, and he gave them the lands of the nations, and they partook of the fruit of the people's toil, to the end that they should keep his statutes and observe his law. Would you put up your hand if at the call of God, at any time you have left your homeland and said goodbye to loved ones and all your security and gone to another land to serve the Lord in obedience to him? I expected there would be a number. Thank you. Did you experience what I experienced, this exultant joy when you were leaving? Would you put up your hand? Okay, so you know what I'm talking about. When I was leaving New Zealand, and I never left New Zealand with a chip on my shoulder in any way whatsoever. I was loved. I had wonderful friends. I still have. But this verse was so fulfilled in my life, I want to give testimony here, that as I was leaving, the people who were all my known securities, my entire immediate family, I'm not talking about my husband and children, they were coming with me, but when we were, my mother, my brothers, my uh, cousins, all my relatives, all my closest friends were there in New Zealand. And as a number of them were at the airport, to see as I didn't know when we would return, and by the way, it was five and a half years before we did. But this exalted joy was so flooding my heart that there's no way I could do anything else but just praise and sing, and I was just 
full of the joy of the Lord, and it seemed as though there was no way that I could express it by just doing the normal things of hugging and praising and singing. I'd done all that many times over, right in the middle of the airport. The last sight that they saw of me as I was going through the last boarding gate, I shouted, Hallelujah, at the top of my voice. And then I did this. The only thing I knew to do to express it, I went like that. Shouted, Hallelujah, again. It seemed to be the only way I could. It was the joy of the Lord, and when you're full of it, it's got to fall out somehow. of this verse. Let me read it to you again. So he led forth his people with joy, his chosen ones with singing, and he gave them the lands of the nations, because he was sending me to the round of earth, and they took possession of the fruit of the people's toil to the end that they should keep his statutes and observe his laws. Don't uh, fall for the devil's lie that when you go out in obedience to God and leave all and forsake all, that God is going to be a mean God. Yes, there will be a price, but privilege is higher than price. And the joy of the Lord, exultant joy, floods and fills your heart because you see it's an honor to be called by King God to go anywhere. Hallelujah. I'm experiencing it tonight. It wasn't easy to leave my precious darling husband that two-thirds of my life I'm separated from. It hurt every time. We've been married 30 years. We had these horrendous separations. We're very much in love with one another. It hurts to leave him. I've already phoned him since I've been here. I've been here a few hours. <laughs> He's alone in that house. It's hard for him. Is he moaning? No, sir. He's praying like crazy for this meeting. I can hardly wait for the judgment day to come for his sake, for the rewards we're going to get. We've been separated for weeks, which is norm. Been home for a few days. Where I come again? But this is what I'm experiencing. The joy of the Lord! Hallelujah! I think of all the bored people that don't obey the Lord. Verses 51 and 52. Paul and Barnabas had been obedient, gone out and preached the gospel, left their homes. They'd been received by the multitudes, but they were rejected by the Jews and the leaders at Antioch. What was the result of being rejected by the hierarchy in Antioch? They shook off the dust from their feet against them and went to Iconium, and the disciples were filled with joy and with the Holy Spirit. It was the reward of having obeyed God and the reward of standing against the temptation to resent the people who rejected them. When you pray blessings on those who persecute you and pray blessings on those who reject you and forgive them instead of resenting them, what's the reward? Joy, the joy of the Lord. Next condition to receive the joy of the Lord is when we're humble. Isaiah 29, verse 19. The meek shall obtain fresh joy. I love that. 
just said joy, but fresh joy. It's like a little new, clean, exciting package and a little bit of different joy than you had before. What else does fresh mean? Not the same kind, it's a little new deal. The meek, those who have humbled themselves, those who know that they're nothing, those who are small in their own eyes, those who will be willing to be known for what they are at any time. Meekness. The meek shall obtain fresh joy in the Lord. And the poor, that word poor means those who know they have a need. It's exactly the same word as is used in blessed are the poor in spirit. Those who know they have a need. Do you know you have a need? Okay. So those who know they have a need shall exult in the Holy One of Israel. Humility is the ground floor for God to bring the joy of the Lord. Have you ever noticed that proud people don't have too much of this ingredient? First condition. When we've been diligent in daily living to take time to know God from his word. This is a similar point to point one, but it has the emphasis of the word in it. Jeremiah 15, verse 16. Thy words were found. This is a very wonderful verse. We're going to look at it for a minute or two. Thy words were found, says the prophet. Now to find something, you've got to seek, right? If you said, I found it, well, you'd look for something. Otherwise, you wouldn't say, I found it. So God is saying when we have searched the scriptures to know him. This is not the, the, the casual inquirer. This is the one who's taking time to know God over the scriptures. Thy words were found because I sought the Lord from the word and I ate them. Ah, that means meditating on the word. There's no way you can ever say I've eaten the word of God unless you have meditated on it. Reading it slowly carefully, unhurried, uninterrupted, asking the Holy Ghost to give you revelation on it, receiving by faith that he will, repeatedly reading the same things over again. That's meditation. That's eating the Word. All right, now, when we come to the Word of God like that, what's the marvelous result? And thy, wo thy words became to me a joy and a delight of my heart, for I am called by thy name, O Lord God of hosts. A number of spiritual leaders over the years, bless their precious, humble hearts, have come to me and said, Joy, I hate to have to say this because it's very humbling for me, but I've come to the place of desperation. I've got to have answers. I'm a preacher, or I'm a leader, I'm a teacher, but I have no real hunger for the Word of God. Help me. This is my answer. You're not diligent seeking to know the author of the book. You're not making the word of God the priority reading matter in your life. You're not giving it the time that God wants you to give it. When you diligently come to say, God, I'm going to make this the most important part of the day. I wouldn't dream of going through a day without hearing what you have to say to me, first of all about yourself, 
I want to learn about your ways. I want to study you, the author of the book from the Bible. And you take time diligently to study his character verses by verses. Then, you know what God says? Okay, now I'll give you the joy and the love for my word. And if you don't love the word of God, you're a casual inquirer. You pick up your Bible and you may read it haphazardly. You must therefore be reading it for other purposes than getting to know the author of the book. You may be reading it to get sermons for other people. What a dry business that would be. God doesn't play that game. We're going to see more about that through the week. But when, when God sees that we come with passionate intent to know him, that we wouldn't dream of going through a day without pouring over his word, for the wanting with all our heart, with all our mind and soul and strength, and crying out, God, reveal yourself to me. I want to know you as I study your word. Then God says, okay, now I'm going to give you the love for it. And it comes into your heart. And you love the word. It's no chore. It's a delight. It's a delight. The more you meditate on it, the more the love for the word enters into your heart. Psalm 119, verse 111. Thy testimonies are my heritage forever, says David. Yea, they are the joy of my heart. Sixth condition for the joy of the Lord. When we ask God for things that are in his will for us. A fascinating point. Everything's fascinating about God. He's a fascinating God. Sometimes when I don't know how else to tell God how wonderful I think he is, I just say, you're the most. It's the most, doesn't that say? When we ask God for things that are in his will for us, John 16, verse 24, Hitherto you have asked nothing in my name. Ask and you will receive. Why? That your joy may be full. Now we have to ask according to his will, obviously. We can't have the joy of the Lord entering our heart unless we're asking according to the will of God. But when we have asked according to the will of God, have, are we experiencing the joy? We're meant to. Ask that you may be full of joy. Now I believe that the action in every message always is in the application. That's where all the excitement is, not in hearing the word, in doing the word. And we're going to do this point right now. God wants us to be full of joy right here in this building, in this room, by asking for something that is according to his will. And he has already given me understanding of the nature of the things he wants you to ask for, which will all be different in detail to you, but the same in principle. It is this. God wants each one of us to listen quietly and ask the Holy Spirit to speak to us, to tell us things that he wants us to ask the Father tonight. The Holy Spirit knows what's on the Father's heart. We ask the Father in the name of the Lord Jesus, what the Holy Spirit tells us, something that will mightily extend the kingdom of God. 
So if you ask a small request, you know you're right out of the spirit and not asking according to what God wants you to ask. Right? Because God has spoken to my heart and shown me that this is what he wants. He wants every one of us to listen. I'll repeat it again. To ask him to put into our minds what it is he wants us to ask the Father for God to do something. It may be a release of properties. It may be a release of vision. It may be a release of workers. It may be a release of money. It may be a release of literature. Whatever it is, some huge project to extend the kingdom of God. That's what's on the Father's heart tonight. And he wants us to ask that our joy may be full. Now, don't just ask off the top of your head. We've got to ask according to his will. Let's read the verse again. Hitherto you have asked nothing in my name. Ask and you will receive that your joy may be full, but couple it with the other verse, that we can only believe that we, the Father hears us when we ask according to his will. And friends, we've, we often do not know his will spontaneously. Sometimes we do, but mostly we need to wait upon God and ask the Holy Spirit to show us what is the will of the Father. Is anybody left in any doubt about what they're to ask in principle? It's some large project that God will tell you to ask that will extend the kingdom of God to what he's wanting to do apart from bringing us the joy of the Lord is he's wanting to enlarge our borders and give us vision tonight right here in this room for world evangelism. He wants to give you a prayer request greater than, than many of you have ever heard of or thought of praying in relation to world evangelism. Don't limit him. Okay? Let's listen. And I'm going to take authority over the powers of darkness so they can't fool us with some little small request. Satan and demon powers, there's nothing you can do in this building to speak to us. I know perfectly well you have a voice and you speak and you're a power. But I'm not impressed with you. I'm impressed with the mighty God. I'm impressed with his son, the Lord Jesus Christ, who shed his blood that you might be defeated. And I bind you and resist you and silence you and tell you that you cannot speak in this room. You would want to keep uh, from the best tonight. God is going to speak huge requests for the extension of his kingdom. And you will not speak because we command you to be silent in Jesus' mighty name. Now let's die to all our own human reasoning and imagination. with an act of our will and let's be very still before God and ask the Holy Spirit to give us some large request for the extension of God's kingdom something that will affect the nations of the earth and then silently pray and then God will show us what, how to express our joy. Don't worry if it doesn't come straight away. Good things are worth waiting for. The joy will enter your heart when you know you've heard from God and you've prayed through in faith. It's a listening time to God as he's speaking to hearts quietly. Just let her silence. Alright now, has everybody heard so that all our joy can be full? 
We're going to sing Thank You Jesus to the tune of Hallelujah. As we sing it, we can clap or we can do what we want to express, but we're going to sing thanks. And let us not be looking at one another. Let's close our eyes for the purpose of concentrating on what we've asked. And we will be thanking the Lord as we sing this, that he's going to extend his kingdom. Can you imagine how excited God is at this moment? Can you imagine? You see, God's a creative God, and God says, hooray, up in heaven, however he says it. Now I can go into action. They've asked to extend my kingdom. The Holy Spirit has told them what's on my heart. They've asked in Jesus' name. They're believing. I'm going to do it, and their joy is going to be full. Thank you, Jesus. 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 He is ingenious in his creativity. Seventh condition to fulfill, to have the joy of the Lord. When we have received God's burdens in the place of prayer for others and have wept with his heart of love for them, then he promises. Psalm 126, verse 5. May those who sow in tears reap with shouts of joy. And it's only those who've borne the burden of others in prayer with the heart of Jesus shared in tears know what it is to reap with shouts of joy. We can weep and reap, can't we, with joy. I know when my son got converted, all my husband and I could do was just, we just plumped ourselves down on the, the side of the bed and wept with joy. There wasn't anything else to do but just weep with joy. And we kept saying, eternity will be too short to praise God for what he's done in our son. So which was just the joy of the Lord and it was expressed in tears. Hallelujah. The eighth condition to fulfill for the joy of the Lord when we have been faithful to God in diligently carrying out the ministry God has given us. Now, many of us are faithful in carrying out the ministry God has given us, but do we possess our possessions? We're meant to be in, in great joy. Or do we do what God tells us to do, and we're faithful, and then we're miserable about it? You know, a miserable Christian is the worst advertisement to Christianity. 
the world's miserable. And they look on and say, see, I never did think there was anything in any way. But there's nothing like an exultant Christian to draw others to the Lord Jesus. Exulting in the Lord himself. When we are majoring on the privilege to serve him in the ministry that he's given us. Not wallowing in self-pity as we are looking at the price. Yes, there is price. Don't anybody tell you there isn't. It's high. But all the privileges are higher. And when we're looking at the Lord who has called us to serve him, then is the exultant joy. Hallelujah. And then the world looks on and says, Boy, they got something I haven't got. Man, what's this? Sure, they flat out. My word, they've sacrificed a lot. Yes, there seems to be a lot of discipline going on in their lives. Yes, but look at look what's on them. There's this joy bit that's on them. You see, that's what God saw when he looked at Stephen. Saul had all the fervor and all the religiosity and all the dedication for the cause, right? Sure he did. But Stephen had the shining face. And Saul says, hello, I've got all the dedication, I've got all the zeal, but that guy's got something I haven't got. My face doesn't shine like that, and he doesn't want to chuck that in because I said they were to be. Now he's got something. It was the joy of the Lord on Stephen. Psalm 149, verse 5. Let the faithful, the ones who've been diligent to fulfill their ministry, exult in glory. Let them sing for joy on their couches. There you are, Margaret. I'm sure there's nobody been more diligent in relation to the preparation of this conference than the president. That's always the way. The buck always stops at the top. Right? Sure it does. And she can be just exulting in the joy of the Lord as the reward of all your hard work. Matthew 25, verses 21 to 23. His master said to him, Well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful over a little. I will set you over much. Enter into the joy of your master. And he also, who had the two talents, came forward saying, Master, you delivered to me two talents. Here I have made two talents more. His master said to him, Well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful over a little. I will set you over, over much. Enter into the joy of your master. And God wants us to do that tonight to the degree we've been faithful to him. The ninth condition, when we've spoken wisely and according to the fear of the Lord. Proverbs 15, verse 23. To make an apt answer is a joy to a man. There's a joy that God wants us to have in our hearts when we've spoken wisely. Now those are the conditions that we fulfill and receive the joy of the Lord. And now we're going to look at in difficult times when we choose to rejoice in the Lord as an act of the will. I'm making this a separate point because it is, this is life. This is realism. Life is not easy. Right? Any other realists in this place? Good. Because the more we're out on cloud nine at convention times, the more we need some practical teaching of what it's really like when we get home inside the door. Amen, girls? All right. So, in difficult times when we choose, when we, we make the choice to rejoice as an act of the will, this is a very important part. 
Psalm 9 verses 1 and 2. These two verses are the classic in scripture on this point. I will give thanks to the Lord with my whole heart. I will tell of all thy wonderful deeds. I will be glad and exult in thee. I will sing praise to thy name, O Most High. Praise is a choice. Rejoicing in the Lord is a choice. Don't ever come and tell me you couldn't praise the Lord. Over 30 times I have found in the Word of God, in the Psalms, these words, I will praise the Lord. I will praise the Lord. It's a choice. We have free will. And we choose. Now, to the degree we have a revelation of the Lord and understand his character and are walking in obedience to him and in humility with sin dealt with in our lives and looking into his face and taking time to be with him, all these factors, all these conditions we've been looking at here make it as easy as possible for us with our free wills to choose. You see, it's going to be very hard to choose if you don't fulfill the conditions. That's why we had to have the conditions first. But as we fulfill the conditions, still there's a choice. You can fulfill all those conditions and not choose. We make the choice and we say, I will and praise him. And the more difficult the circumstances are, the more we need to understand this point, have it embedded in our hearts and say, I don't know about you, but I counsel myself constantly. Do you? And so we say, if we're not praising the Lord, come on now, I will praise the Lord. Why? Because of who God is. Fabulous God. And then start thinking about all the wonderful facets of his character. And then, it, then away you go. I will rejoice in the Lord. You haven't changed. Luke chapter 6 verses 22 and 23. Blessed are you when men hate you and when they exclude you and revile you and cast you out and cast out your name at least as evil. Well that's not too exciting, those circumstances. They're not too pleasant. They're not too comforting. They're horrible. On account of the Son of Man, rejoice in that day. And not only rejoice, leap for joy. Do we? That's what the Bible says. And if we're not leaping for joy when we're spoken against, then J.D. and all the rest of us have got to shape up and we've got to live according to the standard of this book. That's the slide rule. How much leaping for joy have we done as we've been spoken against recently? Well, there it is, girls. I'm giving it to you neat. It's the Bible. We'd better believe it. And if we want this to be our standard, then we will experience this exalted joy. It's because we, we choose to live less than the standard of the word. We don't have the joy that we're meant to have. But as we choose to say, I'll not only praise you, Lord, but I'll live for joy. For behold, your reward is great in heaven, for so their fathers did to the prophets. Got good company. 2 Corinthians chapter 8 verse 2 For in a severe test of affliction their abundance of joy and their extreme poverty have overflowed in wealth of liberality on their part. It's a very, very interesting verse. Severe test of affliction, abundance of joy, extreme poverty and overflowing in wealth of liberality. 
That's an interesting mixture. But of course they had to make the choice in their affliction and extreme poverty to do two things, to rejoice and to give. 1 Peter 4.13 But rejoice in so far as you share Christ's sufferings that you may also rejoice and be glad when his glory is revealed. If we want all the glory and to dodge the sufferings, I tell you, friends, it doesn't work that way. But if we will pray like Paul prayed, I want to know you, I want to have the power of your resurrection, I want the fellowship of your sufferings, I want to be made conformed unto your death, then you have the glory of the Lord. We receive the grace. We see the glory as we embrace all the things in Philippians 3.10. Which is what I just quoted to you of Paul. James chapter 1 verses 2 and 3. Count it all joy, my brethren, when you meet various trials, for you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. Do we? If we can... It wouldn't be in the Bible if we couldn't. But can you see why it's under the heading, I will rejoice in the Lord? It's an act of the will regardless of the circumstances. Habakkuk chapter 3, verses 17 and 18. Though the fig tree do not blossom, nor fruit be on the vine, the produce of the olive fail, the fields yield no food, the flock be cut off from the fold, and there be no herd in the stall. I call that a grim scene. Do you know what there's left? Absolutely nothing of this world, but everything, God's on the throne, in control. And the prophet says, there's nothing down here, but hallelujah, he's still up there, and I will rejoice in him. Because that's what goes on, goes on to say. Yet I will rejoice in the Lord. Not in the circumstances, there's nothing left to rejoice in. I will joy in the God of my salvation. Not just rejoice, joy, exalted joy. God, the Lord, is my strength. He makes my feet like hind's feet and makes me tread upon my high places. Now, here's a very interesting thing. What does that little animal do when it, we look at it uh, scaling up a very rugged, difficult, Vertical hills, crags and rocks. And we see these little animals that God has given the ability to do so, just scaling up like that. And we marvel at it. We'd be hanging and hanging and ropes and the whole bit. But, uh, but here it goes like that. Now here's what God is saying here. When we will to praise the Lord for who he is, in the difficult places, he then comes down by his spirit, and you know it if you've experienced it. He comes by his spirit and he lifts your mind and your spirit above the difficult circumstances and you keep on in the difficult circumstances because those rocks are still there and it's still hard and it's still high. You're hurting him. It's, it's sorrowful. It's difficult. Everything around you is but your mind and your spirit are taken by the Holy Spirit and you are above them and you're running up the mountain. Now that's what I believe the Holy Spirit has shown me here. He makes my feet like hinds feet. The rocks and the difficulties are there. But your mind and your spirit is above and you're rejoicing in the Lord and nobody and nothing can touch you. Hallelujah. But what did you have to do? You had to will to praise Him 
for who he is. You started to rejoice in the Lord. And there's nothing like singing his praises in the midst of the dreadful and the, and the dark and the dismal and the grim circumstances. Start to rejoice and praise. And he says, okay, and then he does the miraculous. The Bible is very, very practical. When we obey it, practically, and literally. And then after our enemies have opposed us, Psalm 5 verse 11, but let all who take refuge in thee rejoice. Let them ever sing for joy and do thou defend them, that those who love thy name may exult in thee. How do we express this joy back to God? Well, the Bible doesn't leave us in any doubt. Psalm 98, verses 4 to 6. Make a joyful noise to the Lord, all the earth. Break forth into joyous song and sing praises. Sing praises to the Lord with the lyre and the sound of melody, with trumpets and the sound of the harp and the sound of the horn. Make a joyful noise before the King, the Lord. All right? With song and with instruments, obviously. Psalm 9, verses 1 and 2. I will give thanks to the Lord with my whole heart. Now, you don't need to be able to sing or have a, play an instrument. God is saying, whatever you do, rejoice and do it with your whole heart. That's the main thing. But if you can sing and you've got instruments, well, that's all to the good. 1 Kings chapter 1, verses 39 and 40. There Zadok the priest took the horn of oil from the tent and anointed Solomon. Then they blew the trumpet and all the people said, Long live King Solomon! And all the people went up after him, playing on pipes and rejoicing with great joy. Now this intrigues me. This is one of the most exciting things that I can read about in the Bible. There was such a tremendous release of the joy of the Lord as a leader was being appointed and anointed by God that the earth was split by the noise. That's what it says in the Bible. Now that's some, that's some joy session, isn't it? God actually turned on an earthquake in response to the exultant joy as a leader was being anointed in front of the people. That tells us a lot of things. It tells us the primary place in importance that God has of anointed leadership. There is no, at no time from Genesis to Revelation in the Bible where God moved to bring about the maximum that he did not move through God-appointed, God-anointed leadership. That is an unqualified statement. God can move without God-appointed, God-anointed leadership, but never, ever to get maximum. Let's look at these important verses. And this is behind why there was such a tremendous um, rejoicing when the leader was being anointed and the earth was being split. Judges 5 Verse 2. The background then sang Deborah and Barak, the son of Abinoam, on that day. They were the two leaders. That the leaders took the lead in Israel. That was the first thing. Then the people offered themselves willingly and then praise or blessing to the Lord. Three important phases there. When leaders who are appointed and anointed by God lead the people, then the people offer themselves willingly. Then there's blessing and praise to God. Psalm 110, verse 3. 
same sort, your people will offer themselves freely on the day you lead your host upon the holy mountain. It's not more people to follow that God leads in the body of Christ. It's more God-appointed, more God-anointed leaders to lead according to the character and the ways of God. And so there was great rejoicing amongst uh, the people with this leadership. Psalm 33, verses 1 to 3. Praise the Lord with the lyre. Make melody to him with the harp of ten strings. Sing to him a new song. Play skillfully on the strings with loud shouts. Have you noticed how many times exultant joy and loud shouts have come through all the quotations of Scripture? Right through the words. And just as equally, I could give you a message on God's silence as I've got one. We need the balance of the two. There's a time for both. I may or may not be led to minister on that. But we're looking at this side of the coin tonight. Psalm 126, verse 2. Then our mouth was filled with laughter and our tongue with shouts of joy. Who's got the greatest sense of humor? God. Why? Because he's the author of it. And I believe that the most godly people are the most natural. You know why? Because true godliness doesn't have any acting whatsoever. There's no cover-up. There's nothing to act. You're released to be totally natural. The most natural person that ever walked the earth was the Son of God, the most godly. He had nothing to hide. There was no act whatsoever. And the most fun people to be with are the most holy. You know that? Oh, you might have thought, not really. Well, then I question whether they're holy. Because who would be the most exciting person to ever be with, whoever lived on this earth? Jesus. And he was the express image of the Father. And God is the author of humor. Now we have to have all this balanced with the fear of the Lord. Humor, as I well know can, from bitter experience, can get out of control. And, I, and God has to convict me and say, quit it, can it, harness it. Control it. But I also know this, that I thank God time and time and time again, as I'm sure hundreds and hundreds of you do, for the gift of a sense of humor. And if you haven't got one, he's a creative God, ask him to give you one. You know, this is quite a question, and I don't want you to forget it, and neither does God. Are you fun to live with? And what would be the answer of your family? Because that's the only answer that's true. Are you fun to live with? Jesus would be. I'm going to read the verse again. Then our mouth was filled with laughter, and our tongue with shouts of joy. That was Psalm 126.2. First Chronicles 15, verse 16. David also commanded the chiefs of the Levites to appoint their brethren as the singers who should play loudly on musical instruments, on harps and lyres and cymbals to raise sounds of joy. Music to, to bring the joy of the Lord. Ezra chapter 3. When 
they saw the foundation of the cross being laid, many shouted aloud for joy, for the people shouted with a great shout, and the sound was heard afar. Zephaniah chapter 3 verse 14. Sing aloud, O daughter of Zion. Shout, O Israel. Rejoice and exult with all your heart, O daughter of Jerusalem. Psalm 149 verses 1 to 3. Praise the Lord. Sing to the Lord a new song. His praise in the assembly of the faithful. Let Israel be glad in his maker. Let the sons of Zion rejoice in their king. Let them praise his name with dancing, making melody to him with timbrel and lyre. Psalm 47, verse 1. Clap your hands, all people. Shout to God with loud songs of joy. Well, we're not left in any doubt whatsoever. If we're being honest, of, uh, at, under the anointing of the Spirit of God, which comes from clean hearts, God does not anoint dirty vessels. Don't go around saying, Dear God, anoint every preacher that you know is going to preach. Many times that prayer can't be answered. Don't pray that. Say, dear God, cause the person who's going to preach to fulfill the conditions so that you can anoint them by your spirit. If there's unconfessed and undealt with sin in their life, convince them of it. Bring them to repentance so that you can then fill them and anoint them with your spirit. Then God can answer that prayer. Don't ever pray for me this week, just fill her with the Holy Ghost. Say, Lord, cause her to fulfill the conditions so that you can. Then if I'm not, I'll get zapped by God in conviction and have to get on with some repentance. See? That's good. That's exactly how I want you to pray. Because he doesn't anoint me any better. What are the results? We've been looking at some of the ways in which we express praise and joy. Results? Spiritual, physical, emotion, emotional and mental energy is released by God. It's part of the package of the joy of the Lord. Nehemiah chapter 8 verse 10, For the joy of the Lord is your strength. Another result is that the nations will know that God is working for us. Psalm 126 verse 2, then our mouth was filled with laughter and our tongue with shouts of joy. Then they said among the nations, the Lord has done great things for them. Second Chronicles chapter 20. Great power is released by God over the enemy, over the powers of darkness. The Lord sent ambushments amongst them when, and drove back the, the enemy, caused actually the children of, of Judah to be Saved from, an, uh, from the oncoming hordes of the enemy, God raised up another army to clean up that army that were coming to fight them. In other words, God's mighty power was released in dynamic, unusual ways that no way the children of Judah could have ever thought of or heard of. And what did they have to do? Stand there and sing with all their babies and their teenagers and their children. You read about it there in Second Chronicles 20. And they had to sing about the character of God. When they sang, His mercy endures forever. God moved against the powers of darkness. And then in Acts chapter 16, we find Paul and Silas in prison, blues, bruised and bleeding and beaten up. And they did one thing more important than having a prayer meeting for the lost souls of the people in the town that had caused them to be locked up. They had the highest form of 
prayer. They took the form of praise and they started to sing the praises of God. And what did God do when Paul and Silas, instead of having a prayer meeting, important, desperately important as prayer meetings are, my word, let's never think that we can substitute uh, praise meetings for prayer meetings. We need both, friends. Both. And that they had seen the tremendous power that God releases over lost souls when they praise. And so they prayed. And they sang the praises of God. And what did God do? God was so thrilled in heaven that Paul and Silas sang his praises that he said, Amen. And that was the earthquake. And the prison doors were opened and the shackles came off the prisoners' hands and there was a mighty evangelistic move right there, move of evangelism by the Holy Spirit and souls got saved in the middle of the night and whole family baptized. And Paul didn't even have to preach a sermon. They were calling out, what can we do to be saved? They were running to the altar. Such is the power of praise. Oh, will we get the message but what was it Paul and Silas had to do? They had to choose in ghastly circumstances to praise the Lord, to sing his praises. They made a choice. They could have been saying, Dear God, raise up intercessors for us now. My word, here we are, bruised and bleeding and beaten up. And uh, now, God, you raise up some people to pray for us. You know, we would have been very tempted to do that. But they got their eye on the Lord and praised him. And God says, I'll show you guys what I can do with my power. <laughs> Earthquake and salvation and baptisms and mighty dynamic happenings. In closing, these are three prayers for ourselves and others in relation to this subject. Three prayers from God's Word. Very, very important. And this brings me to the part where I saw immediately the purpose of why God came upon our precious sister here and with that song about these are days for preparation. Remember, dear, when you were singing, these are days for preparation. And I was the only one who knew what this message was. And I understood why she was giving that. And it's for this Colossians chapter 1, verse 11. Because the, the message that God has given tonight links totally with the word that was sung through our sister. Colossians 1.11 May you be strengthened with all power according to his glorious might for all endurance and patience with joy. Now we can have the endurance and we can have the patience but do we have the joy you see, there's a difference, isn't there? The more mature we've gone and the deeper we've gone with God, we're receiving the grace and we're enduring and we're patient. But have we got the exultant joy? This is the higher level that God wants to bring. In the place of affliction, in the place of persecution, in the place of the difficult times. And friends, the message that was sung through us here was these are preparation days. I believe they're preparation days for far greater difficulties than you and I have ever heard of or thought of right now. I believe that with all my heart. And I believe that God wants us to learn the Stephen kind of joy so that when the bricks are coming and the persecution's on and the devil's power is unleashed a thousand times more than it is now and it's not all out yet, that then we'll have this 
only be endurance and it only won't be patience, but it'll be this message being lived out in our lives. And then the world will say, what's this? What's this? Because they can grip their feet with stoics in the world. Sure there are, millions of them. People with courage who haven't got Christ that grip their teeth and bear it and go on. It's not realistic for us Christians to say anything else or less, right? Books are full of those who, who've done exploits and have had courage and endurance and patience, but they can't have the joy. There's no way they can have the joy of the Lord without Jesus. Jesus is the joy of living. Giving thanks to the Father who has qualified us to share in the inheritance of the saints in life. Another prayer, Acts 20, verse 24. But I do not account my life of any value, says Paul, nor as precious to myself, if only I might finish my course. And so many times that's all that's quoted that Paul says. He didn't just say that. It's not that I might finish my course. You can do that with endurance or with patience. But Paul says, I want to finish my course with joy. I want that same kind of joy on me that I saw on Stephen when I said, go and stone that guy and had his coat at my feet. I want that. You see, Stephen's life was, was multiplied in Saul. Paul died with the same exultant joy, I believe, that Stephen did. You reproduce your own kind. It's a law of multiplication. When we speak to people about Jesus and they see the exultant joy upon us and they see that there's a radiance because we've tapped the secret of who he is, not the circumstances we live in, and we leave them to the Lord, the imprint of that as we speak to them, they will never want anything less. And I believe that Stephen reaped in the life of Paul. Paul finished his course and was um, martyred for Jesus Christ with this exultant joy, if only I might finish my course with joy and the ministry which I received from the Lord Jesus to testify to the gospel of the grace of God. Jude 24. God's enabling power at work within us. Oh, this is so marvelous. When we pray, God, I want the joy of the Lord as well as the patience and the endurance for all the coming of the difficult that I don't know now. I'm going to receive your grace I'm going to fulfill these conditions. I will to rejoice in you. Then God says, all right, now I'm going to tell you what I'm going to do. Jude 24. Now unto him who is able to keep you from falling and to present you. This is God's part. We've chosen to do our part. This is his. Now I will keep you and from falling and I will present you faultless before the presence of his glory with exceeding joy. It's God's turn. It's Jesus' turn to say to the Father with exceeding joy, Here they are. They've chosen to fulfill those conditions. And now I'm, I've kept them in my power and I'm presenting them faultless before the presence of the Father with exceeding joy. That's what Jesus